Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 64 of UConn 360. That is the only podcast known to science that covers the University of Connecticut from every conceivable angle. Uh, coming to you from the three corners of Connecticut, uh, we are separated by the pandemic, but we are united by our love of the University of Connecticut. My name is Tom Breen. I'm your facilitator of sorts. Joining me, as always, are my colleagues, Julie Bartuka. I thought you were going to end that sentence as, at love. We are united by our love. <laughs> <laughs> we do have a, we do have a, a co-host bond, but, you know, that might be taken a little too far. Yeah. Speaking Hi, of mandatory sexual harassment <laughs> training. <laughs> uh, oh, um, no, don't worry. And Ken Best. Ken, joining us uh, from the Mansfield Center Bureau. How are you doing? Yes, we finally were able to do that. We are continuing to have technical issues. We have some technical difficulties, but we're soldiering through. It's the spirit of Dunkirk here at the University of Connecticut. Um and we've got an exciting program for you. There's a lot of exciting stuff happening at UConn right now. For example, you, you may, uh, this is ripped from the headlines, or I guess as you're hearing this last week's headlines, whatever. The University of Connecticut uh, joined with many other universities and states in, in protesting and, and, and supporting a lawsuit against the Trump administration, uh, which had um, issued an order saying that all international students who are not attending classes in person the fall have to return to their home countries. And... Um, I would say maybe an hour after we posted that on UConn Today, the Trump administration announced they were backing down from their order. And some people would say, well, that's just a coincidence. It has nothing to do with it. I, I choose to believe that we were the deciding factor. Just UConn? Yeah, they saw UConn Today go up and they said, that, that, okay, we don't want any more. We don't want the smoke. <laughs> not, not all the states and uh, universities that were suing. They were so excited. They were getting ready to fight and they saw UConn Today and they said, throw in the towel. It's over. Yes. yes. It's done. We did it. Um, one story that I thought was interesting, too. The Connecticut Convergence Institute for Translation in Regenerative Engineering, they created some 3D printed mask frames to make regular masks fit a person's face. So they actually use a photo and then there's some 3D facial recognition technology and that's actually um, being brought to market. So Connecticut Biotech, which is a Connecticut-based startup, um, is going to be marketing, manufacturing, and distributing the printed mask frames. They're going to be called Secure Fit. So for people who really want a better fit on those masks, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, very nice. Ken, despite the technical difficulties, what's been going on in your world? What's, what's been happening that you find interesting? Well, the final version of the summer series that Jorgensen has started is the digital stage. Uh, will be on July 28th because they've been shut down because performers are not able to perform and and, and tour, they did find a service that would allow streaming, and so they worked with them, and the Dover Quartet has been streaming on behalf of the Jorgensen for the last two weeks, and the final performance is on July 28th, and you can go to jorgensen.ucon.edu to sign up and participate in that, and you can also go to UConn today and see the story that we wrote about it. Very nice. And, you know, speaking of performers and music, Ken, you've got a story for us today about a performer. Yes, I do. Uh, Lara Herskovich graduated from the School of Social Work in 1995 and began traveling around the world as an education specialist for Save the Children, which is based in Westport, Connecticut. She carried a guitar to sing and write as she had done since she was a child. She later worked as a grant writer and policy analyst at the Greater Bridgeport Area Foundation and more recently with the Connecticut Juvenile Justice Alliance. I met Lara 20 years ago 
through a mutual friend when I was working on my master's degree in journalism and needed to write a profile of an interesting person for a class. Uh, our friend thought she might be a good subject, and at the time, Laura was performing her original music at open mic nights in Connecticut and New York and beginning to record her first album, all while holding down her full-time job in social work. I did my class assignment and then wrote a story about her uh, as part of a longer piece I did for the Connecticut Weekly section of the New York Times, which some people may remember. Soon after, I became the editor of Yukon Magazine and wrote a number of uh, stories, including a, an alumni profile for our readers about Laura. She continued to work her day job in social work and performed on weekends throughout the East Coast and released uh, albums. In 2009, she was named Connecticut State Troubadour, and she gained national attention after an appearance on NPR's Prairie Home Companion when the program visited the Palace Theater in Waterbury. Three years ago, Laura decided to pursue her music full-time. She has just released her seventh recording, titled Highway Philosophers, and we met at the Buttonwood Tree in Middletown, where she has performed many times to catch up. We are highway philosophers. We can drive alongside all the toughest truckers. We ride gently through the night. We let our lives take by in lollipop signs. Two tenths of a mile. I had a full time or full time ish job in lots of different segments of the public policy arena, program development arena overseas in the U.S. And yeah, three years ago, I just couldn't sustain both happily. Music was doing really well, and it just was too much to carry to full-time jobs at that point. So I was a part-time musician, but I was also a full-time musician and a full-time policy social worker. So how's it going? How's it going? Well, I would have answered the question slightly differently probably in February than March on, right? There's sort of pre-COVID and post-COVID-19. But overall, I just have to say it's going great. I'm happy. I'm doing what I'm here to do. The details of how it unfolds are always surprising to me, and that has always been true. So I'm a born musician. I started writing songs when I was 8, 9, 10. I found a poem. My mom was going through our childhood stuff. I found a poem from, I think I was 7 years old, something like that. It took me a long time to get to who I am. It's been really rewarding. Any creative person, I think, generally wants more time for their art I didn't know what that would look like for me. First and foremost, I still live by the Ray Charles famous quote. I didn't, I never wanted to be famous. I only wanted to be great. And for me in this lifetime, I want to honor music and sort of give back to music what it has given to me and honor it enough to just get better and get better and grow and improve my guitar playing and my performance skills and my poetry writing and just all of the elements of that. And being full-time, I would say that's the biggest difference is I just have time to give it. I have time to play every day. I have time to tour. I have time to tour to places that I always wanted to go but couldn't fit in on a weekend per se. Now we're in this strange new world and I'm doing a lot of it online and it's still great. That's a whole nother subject to cover, but I think what the pandemic has helped me understand is the importance of music and the importance of art. And I think... When I was working full-time in the public policy world, 
I felt like that was important work. I still feel like that's important work, but I always felt like that was more important work than music is. And now I understand that they're both equally important. They're just different. Highway Philosophers is um, uh, got what I, I know to be several of your common places to go. There is social justice messages in there. Mm-hmm. There are some personal things mm-hmm. in there. And there's a bit of humor because you've always had that in some of the songs you do. Yeah. How has that evolved so that it's still what you can do? You can add into a, a, a disc, mm-hmm. but it's still looking forward because you always look forward in what you're singing about. I think it's hard for any fish to see and understand the water that that fish is swimming in and breathing in. And it's hard for me to comment on it from a higher, like a 20,000 foot altitude. Having said that, I was shaped early on in my career by artists like Cheryl Wheeler. She was one of the first people I opened for at the Acoustic Cafe in Bridgeport. I lived around the corner. It was my first early training ground. I really enjoy offering an audience a wide variety of, you know, if I'm inviting them into a house, I'm throwing a party and there's a big house. I want to offer a lot of different doors and a lot of different windows for people to come in musically, lyrically, topically, rhythmically, tempo. I really enjoy a lot of variety as an audience member, as well as, as a performer. So I I guess that just hasn't changed. Most of my albums are like that, maybe with one exception being Four Wise Monkeys, which is a concept album weaving around themes related to having to address mass incarceration prison industrial complex in the United States. That was in 2012, I think. All my other albums have been, I think, exactly what you're describing. I think what's different about this one is this one is an album of freedom. I think it's, it wouldn't be surprising if you listen to all my albums back to back, that this is the one that has a lot of themes of freedom, adventure, escaping a circus, flying, becoming who you are. So perhaps all the albums before this were leading up to that point. But if this is the moment where I finally had the ability and courage to leave full-time social work and go into music full-time, I think that's really reflected on this album. And I hope it's resonant, honestly, especially in this time now in the pandemic, I hope it's really resonant for people who are also on their own hero's journey. I think this is an album of the hero's journey and all the different elements of it. And some of that is the past and healing, the the very personal. And some of that is the very aspirational, you know, fire up a hot air balloon and get out of the circus because the ringmaster is not very kind and we need to do things a different way. And I always hope to inspire people to lean into their best self in the same way that I'm trying to lean into my best self. One of the things that I know is... Uh been happening over the years is you're looking to improve everything that you do in every aspect of your performance. Mm-hmm. You've, you've taken voice lessons, you've worked mm-hmm. on your guitar, and you've taken songwriting workshops and yep. all of that stuff. Yep. Where do you think you are now, 18 <laughs> years into this, where you still are looking to improve? That's the whole part of the human journey, right, is we never get there. It, uh, well, I'm better than I was 20 years ago. I know that much. So... I have always tried to do the best that I can in any given moment. And when I have released every other album before this, I've always really felt like I, even releasing it, I wish it could have been better. Especially working full-time, there's all kinds of compromises you make along the way in terms of time and budget and 
in the past, I think I have probably let good enough be good enough. One of the really big differences being full-time is that I can help encourage good enough to become more than good enough. This is the first album, with no disrespect to anything that came before it, this is the first album that I just feel so thoroughly proud of. I worked really hard on the songs. I didn't let good enough be that this time. I worked, if a song felt good enough, then I knew this time, I knew it wasn't done. And that feels really good. So it took a long time to do, and it was a painstaking process in the studio, and my co-producer is super patient and talented and a really terrific partner. And there's still, as one of the songs even says, as Robert Frost quotes, uh, miles to go before I sleep. And I guess that's just always true for those of us who are choosing a path of growth and you know, we see it in nature and we see it in ourselves and hopefully we'll see it in the world and the and the country in this moment of like fiery transformation. There's always room for improvement. What song from this new album is the one that we would reflect what we're talking about the best? So you could ask me this the question 14 times today and I'd give you a different track each time. At this moment, I'm I'm leaning a little bit into Angels because I really feel like we're being we're being called upon to be better. We're just we're there's a huge invitation right now for us all individually and collectively to choose to evolve, to choose to be kinder, to choose to lift up integrity and contribution and community and connection and I hope we take it. I know lots of people are already taking it and um there's lots of room on that boat. One of the songs is Sailing to Newfoundland. Uh, it's a, you know, a metaphor through sailing a vessel. And so there's, there's room for everybody on, the, on that boat. And I hope everybody chooses to come aboard. Interesting song. I, I think I said when we spoke, a- Angels is a theme uh, in lots of albums. I mean, I, I remember that line or that word coming up. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of one of those things that does recur sure. in a lot of songwriting. Absolutely. Uh, what surprised me a bit was uh, Careful Porcelain Doll, references mm-hmm. to baseball. Yep. I know you're a sports fan of football, and I guess you watch some other things as well, but that seems to be more personal than... than it is very than, personal. So why don't you explain that a bit to me? I think that's the other interesting thing about this album was in the middle of this... I mean, gosh, I was going through one of the biggest um, changes in my life from a full-time social worker to a full-time musician. Like, that stirred up all kinds of stuff. In the middle of all of that, I had a broken ankle. That stirred up some stuff. I'm I'm an active person, and so it's kind of forced me to be more quiet and still. And that, of course, as everyone's learning through this pandemic, that will also stir up stuff when there is stuff there to be stirred. And in the middle of that, my mother is downsizing. And so she kind of handed me and my sisters back all of our childhood stuff. And so I was reading through all this childhood stuff. And that will certainly stir some stuff up. And so Careful Porcelain Doll, was, it's, um, it's a true story. When I was a kid, I went to Yankee games a lot with my dad. My dad traveled a lot. He worked for IBM. He was, he was away a lot. Um, but he and I were really close. And I've always been drawn to sports um, as a player. And so he and I would play catch. And it just, yeah, we went to Yankee games. I don't know. This would be 77, 8, 9, 80. Like the, those Yankees. Reggie Jackson and Mickey Rivers and Goose Gossage and Thurman Munson and Greg Nettles played third base. So, yeah, in Careful Porcelain Doll, I'm sort of meditating on 
being a young girl who at the time the culture for young girls was still kind of repressive and not supportive of being outside of the lane of pink dresses on Barbie dolls. And I wasn't interested in pink dresses on Barbie dolls, really. I wanted to be outside playing. I had one grandmother lived in Montreal. My dad was born and raised in Montreal. And so we would go up there more or less once a year. And I remember shopping for her for my birthday. Toy store, go go get what you want. And I went to get what I wanted. And she put it back and, and took a doll off the shelf and bought the doll. And I Maybe it was porcelain, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I wasn't interested in it either way. But it it really it really stuck with me. I mean, the parallel is I also had a grandfather on my mother's side, oh, had a Christmas tree farm, and I have a song on an earlier album, Charlie Brown Christmas Tree, that just pays tribute to him, and that that's a whole other interesting full circle story. But Careful Porcelain Doll really is a it's a it's a it's a feminist song which is saying like it's okay to be outside of that one narrow lane of how culture perceives femininity and so yes I wanted to be a New York Yankee when I was 7 8 and then the parallel in the song is then I got married very young I don't know 22 or something just same thing like he was a lovely person and still is but I had no idea who I was and kind of got lost, lost myself in that marriage, which was short-lived because I busted out of it not knowing how to evolve with him. And so I'm comparing myself at that point not to being a, to, to feeling like that careful porcelain doll. And then it fast-forwards to being a musician and saying I sprinted into the nearest brick wall to break all remaining porcelain doll. And so really it's another song through a, di- a much more personal lens of authenticity and courage and allowing yourself to just be who you are. When we first met, which was 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. uh, and I did that profile of you for my class, uh, which partially ended up in the New York Times as a sidebar Mm -hmm. to the Acoustic Cafe story, you said the following, and I've read this to you Uh before, and you know what the quote is? (laughs) 20 years ago. (laughs) Well, but we've also talked about it. I would love to have the opportunity to do music full time, to see how that is. But maybe because I have to do both. I believe that my day job feeds my music, doing social work and working with the high caliber of people that I do in the arts and education Mm -hmm. and health and human services and the environment is so incredible. They're such good people. Working with them feeds me as a person. I like to believe that any artist is better if they're balanced as an individual. I may be believing that out of necessity right now, but I love the opportunity to Mm -hmm. test my theory. Mm -hmm. You're in year three of the test. I I know you probably think about this periodically, Mm -hmm. um, but what are you thinking now, 20 Mm -hmm. years after we had that discussion? I think I was very wise. (laughs) That's a smart young woman. I think it was true. I think it's still true. I mean, I have a a tattoo of yin-yang, which for me represents balance with also a compass star, back to that sailing to Newfoundland, like the compass star that navigates the ship by the stars. Uh, And that's tattooed on my body. So I still deeply believe in balance. I'm not always in balance, but I aspire to it. Sometimes that balance is over the course of a day. Sometimes it's over a week. Sometimes it's a month. Sometimes maybe it's 20 years. So this is three years of balancing those 18 years of full-time trying to squeeze music into the to the edges I'm staring at a brick wall right now behind you and you know there's there's places where the mortar is very cleanly covering the spaces around the brick and there's spaces where the mortar is absent and that's what I was trying to do for 18 years with music is squeeze the you know the gaps with music 
and it's a both and, not an either or. I I think that was true. I mean, I can't say I wouldn't trade the journey. Like, who who's to say what a different path would have looked like? It's impossible. I wonder sometimes if I had gone to Berkeley School of Music when I was 20 and what would that look like? But it doesn't really matter. Like, I'm here now. I'm happy with where I am. And so I try not to question how I got here. All of that work helped me understand the world. I mean, I got to travel to, I don't know how many continents, but a bunch of them, understand some of the common threads of humanity and understand the injustices of the world that from my sort of, I don't know, privileged suburban white existence, I would never have had the chance to know and empathize with and have honestly the privilege of showing up to to work with incredible people on changing those injustices. I think it's still true, and I'm still deeply connected to the Community Leadership Program in New Haven. It's a program I went through 2012. It was right around when I produced that Four Wise Monkeys album. At the time, it was a really interesting fork in the road actually getting to now. I felt like, I, and we've you and I have probably had this conversation, I felt like Monday through Friday I had a certain attire in the quote-unquote more professional vein and I was testifying or evaluating a program or writing to get a grant or giving a grant whatever Friday Saturday or maybe Thursday Friday Saturday sometimes I had jeans and boots and I was playing music and going through the community leadership program helped me understand that I could be both of those things at the same time and I'm still both of those things so I'm still really connected to them. I'm the creative director of their blog. And just I get to lift other leaders up and help them tell their stories and just create space for that. And I don't think that's ever going to change. I am one of the protesters. I'm showing up in support and in allyship of Black Lives Matter. I think it's important for all of us to take this very late opportunity to to evolve and to make this country healthier and to increase equity and to increase justice. It's terrifically overdue and here we are so what's the adage the best time to plant a tree in this case would be 400 years ago the best time to plant a tree is 30 years ago the second best time to plant a tree is 10 years ago and the third best time to plant the tree is right now so i'm trying to show up and continue to plant trees and and let my music also be of service so some of it's always going to be personal some of it's going to be aspirational like yes you can you can be who you are and some of it is probably always going to be social justice uh, because i care about the world so I shine, sister, shine, sister, shine. Ooh. 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 And thanks to Anne-Marie McEwen at the Buttonwood Tree, who provided us a very good meeting place to talk. I hope you were socially distant. We were very socially distant. <laughs> that was really interesting. She had some uh, some interesting perspectives on things. Very cool to see you go from a... Social work at UConn to being the state troubadour and a recording artist. That's neat. It, you mentioned the the old uh, Connecticut Weekly section of the New York Times. Back when I worked at a newspaper in, in Connecticut many years ago, I had a colleague who uh, I was editing, and a colleague came to me with a story and said, like, oh, I, I, you know, my editor doesn't like this story. Can you help me out? And, like, uh, I basically rewrote the whole thing and worked on a bunch of stuff because I thought it was for our newspaper. And then the following weekend it was in the – Connecticut Weekly section of the New oh York Times with the, with the other staffer's byline on it. So that's that's the one time my writing has been in the New York Times. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. 
free labor that you didn't know you were uh, giving. Yeah. <laughs> I also want to say this person went on to a very successful high-profile career in journalism. So it just goes to show you just... Uh, it's, Give uh, us some names. I want to... work, work smarter, not harder, I guess. <laughs> but enough about that. Uh, let's, let's turn to Tom's history corner. We've got some, we've got some fun, uh, post-war reminiscences. I, uh, at home, like a lot of folks during the pandemic, spent a lot of time online and on eBay. And I purchased, uh, a copy of The Laurel from 1947. This was, it's not quite a yearbook. It's more of a photographic annual produced by the Yukon Fort Trumbull campus, which opened in 1946, uh, for returning GIs. In 1946-1947, UConn as a whole had 8,000 undergraduates enrolled, which was four times larger than any other class in school history, and uh, half of them were returning veterans. So the university had to do a lot of different things to accommodate all these veterans. Um, actually, UConn had housing in Willimantic during this time, which a lot of people don't know about. They also opened a temporary campus in Fort Trumbull in New London, which was there for four years. And it was a two-year campus. You could go for your freshman and sophomore year and then transfer to stores to finish your, your degree or go to another college if you wanted to or whatever, join the circus, whatever you wanted to do after two years. <laughs> um, you weren't bound to finish your Yeah, degree. you didn't have to go to stores. So I, I've always been fascinated by Fort Trumbull, and I, I got a copy of this annual. I'll post pictures of it on the um, old main Twitter account. Uh, but I just wanted to highlight a few things. It's a really neat uh, snapshot of what life was like. By the way, 1,500 students, they're all men. Because it was just for veterans, and at the time, combat veterans were all men. And, uh, you know, you, you talk about, um, we've joked about how college students in the past always look like they're in their mid-30s. Mm -hmm. Well, you really, I mean, first of all, some of these these folks were actually significantly older. In their mid-30s. Yeah. Or, you know, late 20s or whatever. <laughs> 20s. But also, like, they, some of them had seen really horrible things. And, boy, some of the photos of, like, the class officers, they really had that, like, thousand-yard stare of, you know, people who've scaled the cliffs at Pont du Hoc. Um, but anyway, one thing I found that was neat is they had their own basketball team called the Trumbull Troopers. And they had their own uniforms. And we're talking about, like, making throwback merchandise available. I would love some Trumbull Troopers gear. Let's call Kyle Muncy. Show me they're, these pictures on the screen, please. I'll try uh, to describe them to the view, to the listeners. Their, their, their starting uh, five was known as the Filthy Five. <laughs> you gotta love so, but they had teams, they had like a drama club, they they had a student union before stores did, actually, interestingly. Wow. But the big thing that I'm interested in, I want to see if I can find copies of this, they had a newspaper called the Trumbull Tide, which actually published all four years. Um, and this is from the, the Laurel, 1947. I, by the way, I've also ordered the 1949 Laurel. I think there's only two. <laughs> and I think by virtue of talking about it, I can write them as a business expense. Anyway. <laughs> uh one of the outstanding accomplishments of the year, the Trumbull Tide, was organized in early October. The first edition, now a collector's item, was distributed to all and sundry from the sides of a 1922 Model T Ford station wagon. Bud Jilson and his grandiose vehicle, coupled with a superb first effort, made the first edition overwhelmingly popular. There's also pictures in here of Bud Jilson and his Model T, and it is a grandiose vehicle. Um, I can confirm that. I'd like to see that also, please. So, I don't know... They, they do a little splash page of headlines from the newspaper, but I can't find anything online. There's a superb collection of student newspapers, uh, UConn student newspapers, that have been digitized, but the, the Tide is not among them. I don't know if anyone has a copy of the Tide or would know where to find one. But if you're out there and you're listening, I don't know, maybe you're in New London and you've got old newspapers sitting around, look through it. <laughs> um, I'm 
I'm looking for a copy of Bud Jilson and his magnificent Bud vehicle. Bud Jilson. I really wish we kept a list of all these excellent names. I know. From Yukon to pass. I never wrote them down. One of our many regrets <laughs> from our, our, our 63 uh, episodes. Long list of shortcomings. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. All right, guys, so you'll see this on the old main account, but it's it's like a an open air car. It looks like a like a fruit cart on wheels almost. <laughs> that's really cool. And Bud Jilson looks like kind of a hottie from here. <laughs> I can't really tell, but he's got some short shorts, nice a, white tee with his little uh, little cuffed sleeves for his he cigarettes. Has, he has a little sign on his uh, his truck saying the tide is in. Wow. So where, remind me where Fort Trumbull is. It's exactly. in New London. Um, New London. It, it's actually been there since 17, or I should say a fort has been there since 1775, although um, it's been uh, demolished and rebuilt several times. Mm -hmm. And they built sort of temporary housing there. They leased it from the federal government, or, you know, were, were given it by the federal government for four years. And this is the, the last thing about the Tide. They had a banquet, as the Daily Campus used to do. Or maybe it still does, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I think the, so. The Tide Banquet in May was held at Dan Shays, where all the staff were presented with a press card and were initiated into the Yellow Dogs of America by the Honorable Dan Shay. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Dan Shays was a restaurant in New London. Uh, I would love to know. I googled it. There's, there's. I mean, you, you get a lot of results for Yellow Dog. Um, I don't know what that was, if it was a newspaper thing or a New London thing or just a weird Dan Shay thing. So if you do know... Get in touch with us at UConn Podcast on Twitter. If you are Dan Shea, the Honorable Dan Shea. I went to UConn with a Dan Shea. I don't think it's the same guy. Probably not. He would have been pretty old. Long hair. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, but yeah, there, a little is, glimpse. There hmm? is a Jilson, Jilson Square in Willimantic. Is possible that there's a connection there? Oh, interesting. But I wonder if Bud Jilson is of the Willimantic Jilson. Is it Jilson with a J? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um. Yeah, so just a little a little trip down memory lane in Fort Trumbull. I'll I'll post pictures so you can get a, a look at Hottie Bud Jilson and the rest. But, and <laughs> I'll the, have to take a closer look at his face. I don't hold me to it, but he looked like a like a pretty cool dude. He had his like knee casually crossed up on the from the other truck. pictures. It looks like he kind of drove around like along the beach, handing out copies to people. So it sounds fun. It does sound know? fun. Sounds like glory days, man. They're probably all re all relieved to be back from fighting and. The Pacific or Europe. Right, just you know, drive just, along the beach handing out newspapers. That's right, playing in a basketball team against like this weird collection of. They played uh, uh, the store's junior varsity. Yeah, okay. And they played like weird, like. They also had an intramural basketball league. I'll, I'll end on this note. An intramural basketball league, and there were 27 teams in the league, Whoa. all from the, the college. And like there was like a commuter team, and there was a married men team, and it was all these, <laughs> uh, you know, so it's just a. They, they really got the most out of their college experience, it sounds Good like. Good times. That's cool. So, unfortunately, that means our time is up this week. Thank you for joining us, everyone. We hope you're doing well in this very difficult time. As I've mentioned, you can find us at UConn Podcast. If you are one of the Yellow Dogs of America, we'd love to hear from you. You can also look at old pictures at main underscore old on Twitter. And you can follow me at TJ Breen. Uh, that's basically it for me. Julie, what uh, what do you want the good people of listener land to know? I'm on Twitter at Julie Bartuka. Um, healthjournal.yukon.edu, the latest issue of Yukon Health Journal is there. Also, you can find some of those stories on Yukon Today. And Ken, how about things in the Mansfield Center Bureau? Well, the Mansfield Center Bureau is still writing for Yukon Today, so my exploits can be followed there. And also on Saturdays from 3 to 6 on WHUS. 
91.7 Yukon Sound Alternative, streaming online at whus.org. All right, everyone. Thanks again, and uh, let's all meet back here in two weeks.